Hello, friends. This is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are grateful to be here studying with you again this week. This week, the study is Alma chapters 43 through 52. Here we begin what we call, I think most people call them the war chapters. This week and next week, we'll break up the rest of Alma. And so we'll be finishing out that book. Um, and these are some of our favorites, I think. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm a converted to the war chapters favorite person, but in part because of the study we did two years ago, as I realized the relevance that these chapters hold. And that is a big reason why we decided that this week we're going to be replaying an episode that we did two years ago today. Um, The other reason is because we're finally, I know we've talked about this a little bit, the longest move in history. (laughs) We're actually finally moving this week. And so it just felt like the right thing to do. But mostly that first reason is just how relevant these chapters are. Again, right? We felt that often as we've studied is how relevant these chapters are. And I've said relevant many times, so I'll let Zach take over. <laughs> well, um, if if you remember a couple of episodes ago, the war chapters actually kind of begin at the very end of chapter 35 in Alma. We don't often count it as beginning there because we have these letters from Alma to his sons in 36 through 42. But listen to the very end of 35. If you remember, Alma and his companions and some of his sons go on a mission to the Zoramites. Some of the Zoramites are converted to the church and they go back to live near the land of Zarahemla in the land of Jershon with the people of Ammon or the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. When the Zoramites that weren't converted hear about that, they get angry. And so this is what happens. Verse 8. Now the people of the Zoramites were angry with the people of Ammon who were in Jershon. They tell them to kick out the converted Zoramites. The people of Jershon refuse. Um, It says that the Zoramites breathed out many threatenings against them, and they were stirred up to anger. Pay attention to the emotions. When we go to chapter 43, when the war chapters quote-unquote begin, again, listen for the emotions. Verse 6. Now, as the Amalekites were of a more wicked and murderous disposition than the Lamanites in and of themselves, Zarahemna, that's the king of the Lamanites, appointed chief captains over the Lamanites, and they were all Amalekites and Zoramites. Now, this he did that he might preserve their hatred towards the Nephites, that he might bring them into subjection to the accomplishment of his designs. For behold, his designs were to stir the Lamanites up to anger against the Nephites, and this he did that he might usurp great power over them, and bring them into bondage. In other words, our wars today might look very different. It's not swords and shields and breastplates. It's words and ideas, but the emotions are often the same. We fight against uh, hatred, against anger, and we are trying desperately um, to win this war, whether it's against external forces or internal forces. And so, as you mentioned, these chapters couldn't be more relevant to what we're going through as a people today. Just this week, I, like probably many of you, recognized that it was um, World Human Trafficking Day. Um, our rescue and many of the organizations that deal with those people set up a big rally on July 31st. And I had the chance to be at the St. George, Utah rally where Tim Ballard spoke and shared some of his thoughts. And I was emotional as I went there explaining to my kids what we were fighting against, that this was 
a rally, um, and we had the chance in 2020 to be a part of one of these fights against injustice in the world. And I was overcome with emotion again, as Tim Ballard said a prayer um, for these kids and for the people that are um, subject to today's slavery of human trafficking. And I think I get emotional talking about it right now, but there are real injustices that we are fighting today. These are these um, wrestles that we are fighting today. I know I quote Ephesians 6 in these episodes probably a couple times because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have real battles going on today. And it's so real right now in 2020. We have, like I mentioned, human trafficking, racial inequality, there's poverty, um, not only the things happening today, but the things that have been going on in the world that are just the things that we need to be fighting against. And I think that God is on our side when we choose to fight his battles. Um, And 2020 certainly has a lot of those for us to stand up for. So whether it's those external battles or the own internal ones you're fighting in your personal life, this episode is dedicated to helping you fight and win the war against evil. Before we begin, I have a pop quiz for you, darling. So here's your pop quiz. Ready? Uh-oh. I'm not very good at these. <laughs> what? Well, it's probably going to... Well, anyway. Um, if you were to take a guess at the percentage of the Book of Mormon that deals mm. directly with war, what would you guess? Let's see. Stories directly about war. Directly about war. I'm going to say 25%. That's wrong. I know it. It's close. It's oh, close. Oh, good. Okay, it's twenty. Good. If I were our kids, I would say earned. 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 I like that. Uh, it's twenty percent. Yeah. Oh, about, good. About a, how about a hundred pages in the Book of Mormon deal directly with war? How many times does the Book of Mormon use the words war, battle, or army? Just those three words alone. Yeah, uh, like in word count. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Um, let's see. Gotta gotta have quick answers here. Um, two hundred. Five hundred. Oh. Well, a little bit over five hundred, even. And how many pages do the war chapters cover? Um, just in the Alma, or yep, all just of them? this these war chapters, this fourteen year war between Nephites and Lamanites, um, Captain Moroni, Army of Helaman, all that. Trying to like do my a quick math. I'm not good at doing quick math. Um, sixty. Yeah, pretty close. About 10% of the Book of Mormon. So the 531 pages in the Book of Mormon, uh, I think it's 51 or 52 or something. I'm pretty good at that pop quiz. You didn't even tell me about it. You did well. You did well. (laughs) Um, And yet, this part of the Book of Mormon, 10% of the Book of Mormon, as you mentioned, a lot of times gets skipped or it gets read quickly. I know when I did, a lot of times I would just start reading the chapter headings because I thought, well, it's a war. war, I don't need to read all the stuff. I just read the chapter headings. Until I came across this quote. This is from President Benson, uh, that famous talk, The Book of Mormon, Keystone of Our Religion. He says this, From the Book of Mormon, we learn how disciples of Christ live in times of war. From the Book of Mormon, we see the evils of secret combinations portrayed in graphic and chilling reality. In the Book of Mormon, we find lessons for dealing with persecution and apostasy. 
We learn much about how to do missionary work, and more than anything else we see in the Book of Mormon, the dangerous materialism in setting our hearts and the things of the world. Can anyone doubt that this book was meant for us, and that in it we find great power, great comfort, and great protection? Like you mentioned, this book and these chapters are meant to be likened. They're meant to be about you. Mormon is a historian, but writing on the plates, as we mentioned in our introductory episode, takes a lot of work. So he's not going to write 53 pages just to recount a story. In other places where he wants to recount a story, he does it in a couple of verses. Here, he takes the time to elaborate in detail, put in direct quotes, because he wants you to see in this yourself. So here's the background that I think will make this come alive for you. Um, in Alma chapter 43, the war chapters begin. And there's this one little detail in verse 6. We always talk about the war chapters being between the Nephites and the Lamanites, which is technically true. Um, however, the leaders of the Lamanite army are almost always Nephites. Here's the scripture, verse 6 in chapter 43. And now, as the Amalekites were of a more wicked and murderous disposition than the Lamanites were in and of themselves. Zarahemna, he was the king of the Lamanites, appointed chief captains over the Lamanites, and they were all Amalekites and Zoramites. Now, if you remember, Zoramites, a couple of episodes ago, are the ones that do not believe in Christ. They're the ones that climb upon the Ramiumptum and pray. We are grateful that we know there's no Christ. So they're anti-Christ Nephites. Zoramites are apostate anti-Christ Nephites. The Amalekites are even worse. If you remember the story of the, the uh, Lamanite converts, the army for the sons of Mosiah converting thousands of Lamanites, there's this army close to the end of the story of other Lamanites and Amalekites that comes and starts to slaughter these newly converted Lamanites. And if you remember, they fall down on the ground. They won't raise their weapons. They, they die instead of breaking their covenant, raising their weapons. And the scripture says because of the conscience is pricked of the attacking Lamanites that they then fall down and the church of God was joined that day by more Lamanites than those that were lost in death. However, it also points out not a single Amalekite was among those converted. In fact, here at the beginning of chapter 43, Mormon points out this war starts out of the hatred of these two apostate Nephite groups, the Zoramites and the Amalekites. I think Mormon points that out because he wants you to see this is not about a war that happened over 2,000 years ago between Nephites and Lamanites. This is about your war. This is about you holding to your faith in a faithless world and trying to battle against those that would tear down your faith in Christ, tear down your conversion, and destroy everything that you're working towards. That's what the story is about. Exactly that is what helped me liken the war chapters to myself or really take deeper meaning was um, that scripture in Ephesians that we fight not against the physical warfare, but we fight against rulers of a darker world of this in a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. And that was really what clinched it for me and just made me realize that how important it is to read their strategies and understand what they're doing and Maybe to not feel so defenseless, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When sometimes we feel that way in, like you said, in this faithless, secular world. 
So here's the way it's broken out. This episode is about your individual war, and we're going to look at Captain Moroni and Amalekai on the other side and learn some strategies on how to fight a, uh, an individual war. Next episode is the Army of Helaman, which is all about family warfare. How do you defend your family? So listen to this one, strengthen yourself, and then listen to the next one. This quote starts us off. This is from Sun Tzu, The Art of War, which I actually had to read as part of a business foundations class once. So here's the quote. Sun Tzu says, Strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. What we want to do with this episode is identify some strategies and some tactics that will help us in our individual fight for faith. So the two guiding questions we have are this. We're each going to tell about a story or two from these war chapters. There are so many, and hopefully you dive in, as with all of our episodes, and study deeper and broader and longer than we give you here. But we're each going to talk about one individual story or two, and we're going to draw out strategies. These are overarching plans that the general in charge, Captain Moroni, who symbolizes the Savior, has for you to win the war. The tactics are what questions or what what individual things can you do in your life? What actions, what plans are you going to put in place because of what you're listening to now and because of what you're going to study on your own that will help you win your war? So what's the strategy and what are your individual tactics? So I'll go first. I found this quote by Elder Suarez. This was before he was ordained an apostle. It's from 2015. And it's just a one line from a talk. He says, figuratively, all of us need to transform ourselves into modern Captain Moroni's in order to win the wars against evil. We all know that verse in Alma 48 where it says, if all men had been and were and ever would be like Captain Moroni, the very powers of hell would be shaken. Satan would have no more power over the hearts of the children of men forever, which is a really cool verse. If I can be like Captain Moroni, Satan will have zero power over me. So what do you do to get there. Well, here are some of Moroni's tactics, and when you study Alma 43, hopefully you find some more. But here's one that I really like. Verse 16. The leader of the Nephites, or the man who had been appointed to be their chief captain, was Moroni. Verse 19. The Lamanites come against them, and it says, when the armies of the Lamanites saw that the people of Nephi, or that Moroni, had prepared his people with breastplates, with arm shields, yea, and also with shields to defend their heads, and they were also dressed with thick clothing. When the Lamanites see this, they're terrified. And when the battle actually ensues, the Lamanites lose in horrible fashion. Because not only do the Nephites have offensive weapons like the Lamanites do, they have all these defensive weapons. What I like about this is, six chapters later, in Alma 49, there's another battle between Nephites and Lamanites. And in this battle, this is verse 6. The leaders of the Lamanites had supposed, because of the greatness of their numbers, yea, they supposed that they should be privileged to come upon the Nephites as they had hitherto done. Yea, and they had also prepared themselves, as the Lamanites, with shields and with breastplates. And they had also prepared themselves with garments of skins, yea, very thick garments to cover their nakedness. So six chapters later, because the Lamanites learned or lost so horribly, they've learned from it. And now they have defensive weapons. However... Verse 4, Behold, how great was their disappointment. For behold, the Nephites had dug up a ridge of earth round about them, which was so high that the Lamanites could not cast their stones and their arrows, 
and they might take effect. Neither could they come upon them, save it were by their place of entrance. And then I love this verse 8. Behold, to their uttermost astonishment, the Nephites were prepared for the Lamanites in a manner which never had been known among the children of Lehi. The strategy I pull from this is this. God helps us defend ourselves. Interesting, in chapter 49, it's not just the cities that they defend, it's the weakest cities. The Lamanites try and attack what they think are the weakest cities. Moroni, however, is able to anticipate that and defends the weakest cities. So the strategy is, God helps us know our weaknesses and how to defend them. The tactic that comes from that is, what are your weaknesses that need defending? What are your cities that need building up? And if you can identify at least one or two of those, you do it, and you do it now. And I think that this one, this one is really powerful. This was one of those that really hit me hard. I think you can feel often maybe a little crazy in what you're doing. I, I picture him digging these trenches and making all of these preparations and kind of people thinking you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. This has never been done before. Why would you do this? But here he is knowing that he's being led by God, that he has received inspiration. Okay, let's liken this to us. And maybe you're feeling that way. Why are you doing that with your family? Why are you doing that with yourself? That seems so absurd or so over protective over religious right yeah and then to really think when you know that god is telling you to do something you do it because of that verse i love that they were a manner in which had never been known to man because god's ways are higher than our own ways and this is the perfect example of that and i'm sure whatever battles that you're fighting you can when you get inspiration from god it's not going to be in the way that man will tell you to do it in fact it's so powerful there's a verse later on where mormon explains that when the nephites choose their military captains they choose at least when they're being righteous they choose a man that is possessed with the spirit of revelation and this proves it moroni is able to anticipate the enemy's moves and defend his people even defend their weakest places and sometimes that seems kind of crazy, but that's exactly the thing that we need to be strong. So strategy, God helps us identify our weaknesses and build them up. Tactics, you got to start figuring out what your weaknesses are and start building them up. And how cool to think that God will help us, especially with our weaknesses, that he's there to, to guide us in those, even not just the places that maybe we feel powerful in. Um, the story that I just love in these chapters is the story of um, Amalekiah and Lahontai. Mm -hmm. Did I say that right? I want to say Lahonti every time. <laughs> Either way. L-dog. Oh, dear. <laughs> I won't be calling him that. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. So starting in verse 46, or maybe he's mentioned before this. You could tell me that. Amalekiah is all over around. in chapter 46. Okay. Right? 46, we start learning about who Amalekiah is. and In fact, just, just so we know who Amalekiah is, this verse, verse 9 in chapter 46, Yea, and we also see the great wickedness one very wicked man can cause to take place among the children of men. Mormon's really specific about his descriptions of Amalekiah. He mm -hmm. is meant 
to symbolize the adversary. Mm-hmm. There's no question about it. He's deceitful. He's cunning. He wants to be king. Amalekiah is Satan. Hands down, then this is why the story is so good. Yeah. So you turn to verse um, chapter 47. I mean, you know, the other description. He uses flattering words. He uses all these things mm-hmm. to get these people to follow him. And he doesn't get what he wants. And he wants to be king. He doesn't get what he wants. So he goes over to try and be the king of the Lamanites. Okay, so here's the story. Lahontai is the general. He's at the top of the mountain. Amalekiah camps out at base camp and at the base of this mountain with the intention to get Lahontai to come down because he knows once he gets Lahontai to come down, he can start to take advantage of the armies and eventually gain power. Lahontai refuses once, twice, three, even four times. And finally, Amalekiah, in the meantime, has climbed up to the three quarters of the way up the hill. And Lahontai says, okay, I will come down, but I'm going to bring my generals, my are some of my men with me. And this is exactly what Amalekiah wanted to happen. He ends up taking over. And this, the verse that I love is that it says that he ends up poisoning Lahontai. Amalekiah ends up poisoning Lahontai by degrees. So you see this very slow progression, this very slow temptation that Amalekiah gives Lahontai and pretty soon he ends up, Amalekiah takes over as general because Lahontai dies by degrees. <laughs> and and then um, Amalekiah ends up killing the king and becoming the king and even tricks the wife of the king into marrying him as mm-hmm. well. So that was obviously a very brief um, You should read the story. story. You read it. Because especially when we see, like Zach mentioned, this um, Amalekiah in this light of... Who is tempting you personally? Who is especially triggering your weakness, weak spots? Um, we need to know what what kind of actions he uses. And Amalekiah, the story of Amalekiah, shows us exactly what we need to do. What um, strategies and what strategies are there that we need to be using? And then, in turn, what tactics we need to use. And... In fact, I, I think this is really fitting after our first point. If the first strategy is know your weaknesses and defend them, the second strategy is once you've got your defenses, don't leave them for anything. Don't compromise. That's Lahontai's downfall is he leaves his defenses just a little bit to go down to Amalekiah. Mm-hmm. And it's that little bit of, of compromise that ends him up poisoned. And so, and it's interesting to think too, like you mentioned, you know, what are your weaknesses from that point before is if you're a Malachiah and you know Lahante even a little bit, you are going to know his weaknesses and maybe his weakness was, Hey, you're a nice guy. You're going to let someone like me in. I just want to talk to you. So anyway, I just, I love, I love that story. I think we can learn so much from it. Chapter 47, 46 worth your own personal study to find out more about that. The third one um, is this one that I, I will probably get a little overfired up about because I, I'm really passionate about this particular topic recently. Up to this point, I'm now in chapter 51 in Alma, up to this point, the Nephites win almost every single battle. Moroni is brilliant. He's revelatory. And because of his leadership, the Nephites win continually. 
Amalekiah takes over as king of the Lamanites, and they still don't have much success until this happens. This is chapter 51. There's a group of Nephites that start this local uprising. They want a king. They call themselves the king men, and they start to to uh, they start this little civil war in Zarahemla. They refuse to join the military, uh, and they start um, boycotting or fighting against those that are joining the military. When Moroni hears about this, he's furious, and so he goes back and uh, and wages war essentially on the kingmen. He fights this civil war. But here's the destructive part. This is verse 22. Behold, it came to pass that while Moroni was thus breaking down the wars and contentions among his own people and subjecting them to peace and civilization and making regulations to prepare for war against the Lamanites, behold, the Lamanites had come into the land of Moroni, which was in the borders by the seashore. And it came to pass that the Nephites were not sufficiently strong in the city of Moroni. Therefore, Malachi did drive them, slaying many. And it came to pass that Amalekai took possession of the city, yea, possession of all their fortifications. Verse 26, And thus he went on, taking possession of many cities, the city of Nephihah, and the city of Lehi, and the city of Morianton, and the city of Omner, and the city of Gid, and the city of Mulek. And he keeps taking cities. Up to this point, the Lamanites haven't had hardly any success, and now they start winning, not because they are an exceptionally good army, not because they've developed some new strategy, but because the Nephites are so busy fighting themselves that the Lamanites start to win. Um, Moroni is furious about this. Verse 14, when Moroni saw this and saw the Lamanites were coming into the borders of the land, he was exceedingly wroth because of the stubbornness of those people whom he had labored, who had later with so much diligence to preserve. Yea, he was exceedingly wroth. His soul was filled with anger against them. Um, he marches home and he tears them apart. And he's just furious. I love the scene of Moroni being this furious defender of life and liberty. But here's the strategy that I pull from it. In today's world especially, we cannot afford to fight each other. If you go anywhere near social media, you know that this is all the rage. And it's about any topic. Religion, certainly. But we fight about politics. We fight about parenting practices. We fight about whether it's laurel or yanny or a blue dress or a yellow dress. We fight about everything. And we waste so much of our time fighting each other and putting angry comments on other people's posts and responding to people's angry comments on our posts with our own angry comments to their posts. We spend so much time doing this that we're losing the actual war. We're fighting ourselves instead of fighting the real enemy. I get really upset at this when I feel people or sense people criticizing or arguing about little first world problem kind of things when there's so many bigger problems in the world to tackle. Um, and so that's the strategy. Knock it off. Quit fighting with each other. Quit fighting other good people. If they're your same religion or your different religion or your different political party, or it doesn't matter. If you're pulling in the general same direction, stop fighting them and let's turn our attention towards those enemies that really deserve our attention. I think this is a great one when we start to think about maybe how much energy and brain space we use up fighting against little things. I love the idea of the first world problems because maybe even we get caught up in cultural problems and mm. these things that, or even just our own fights in our own head fights in our own head right? or within your family that maybe when you look at the big picture you realize 
that's really not that big of a deal. What I should be using my brain and energy space for is for a real cause Mm -hmm. and to maybe be instead banding together with people of those like-minded that are more like us than we think. This is maybe a dumb example, but a couple of years ago, um, I heard someone call President Obama evil and I literally laughed out loud. Because my thought was, if you think that this person is evil, then you really don't know the world. President Obama is not evil. Um, People that work in office and government, whatever problems there may be there, they're not evil people. If you think they're evil, you don't know evil. There are places in this world that are evil. There There is a very real adversary that's out to attack us. Sometimes I think we waste all of our mental and emotional energy getting riled up about perceived evils when the enemy, the real enemy, is tearing down our, our, our border cities and destroying our fortifications. Not to say that you don't stand up and defend what you believe, but keep it in perspective. Yeah, I think it's always just good to step outside your own bubbles, I guess, yeah, maybe sometimes yeah. is the way to put that. Thank you so much for studying with us. Remember these strategies. Know your weak places and defend them. Once you're defended, don't come down for anyone and knock off the fighting. Next episode, we'll study how do we do these things in our families. How do you strengthen and fight within your family?